Welcome to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I am your host, Mike Petchy. How are you? Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for subscribing to the podcast. Um, thank you for letting us be one of those shows on your uh, Apple subscriptions. Um, and how many podcasts do you listen to? I'm curious. What other shows are you guys tuning into? What other shows are we competing against for your attention? Um, I am subscribed to quite a few shows. I think a lot of the stuff that I listen to these days are more uh, comedy based. I'm always listening to your mom's house. Um, and I listen to uh, one of my favorite shows, uh, WTF with Mark Marin. Um, and how often when you guys are listening to a podcast, do you guys ever wonder how it's put together? So many different shows. Uh, have different vibes and different feelings. And sometimes you'll listen to, uh, like I said, like you listen to your mom's house and like, there's a lot of production that goes into this. There's a whole staff of people back in that room, editing and switching between video signals. Uh, they're doing the hunt for all of the clips that they're playing online. Uh, so that sounds like it's a big deal production. And uh, I've had conversations on this show where I've talked about being there, being in their studio setting and, and actually seeing how it's all put together. Um, and it is quite a, a, a large production. It is a big deal. But on the other hand, I listen to shows like WTF and it literally just feels like it's Mark Marin with a Zoom recorder uh, sitting in his garage and talking to the most famous people in the world. That is the big draw for me. Admittedly, I didn't listen to that show when it first came out. I really wasn't into podcasts back in 2009. It was still a new thing, and I wasn't using Apple products at that point, as you've heard me talk about on all my ad reads. Uh, but years later, and I think it was my friend Tony that was really sort of introducing me to the podcast world, I, I fell in love with it. I fell in love with this longer format, this larger format that seemed to go deeper into the subjects that we loved and it also seemed to be off the radar it's almost like pirate radio at that point where there isn't some giant corporate entity breathing down their neck sitting in the other room crossing their hands waiting to push the fucking censor button on stuff that's said uh, and one of the shows that really sort of floated to the top for me was Marin's show i love his candor i love the interviews that he gets i love how humble he is on the show and how willing his willingness to share what he's going through emotionally because if you've been listening to Mark's show he's been through a lot over his over his career and over his lifetime and listening to him come back into humble roots where he doesn't even know if he still has a career anymore doesn't know if uh, comedy is over for him and curving into radio and curving into podcast stuff I was completely fascinated with it I wanted to know how that show's put together. And look, I'll be completely transparent about it. I was listening to the episode that they did with Obama. That's right. The president of the United States. At the time that he was the president of the United States, Mark had him come to his house. Obama flew to California, went to a tiny neighborhood out here in Southern California, and went into Marin's garage and gave him an interview. So right off the bat, that's an exciting episode to begin with, right? 
Finally, it's like, it's like the little engine that could. The small podcast finally gets the biggest guest that you can get in the world on its show. Great episode. The, the interview that he gets out of Obama is fantastic. It's interesting listening to Marin deal with the anxieties of having the president of the United States in his garage. It's a great episode for all that stuff. What I loved even more was their follow-up episode. So right after Obama leaves, Marin sits down with his producer, Brandon McDonald, and they talk about the process, the, the, the elements that were required to allow the president of the United States to sit down in someone's garage. And it is amazing to listen to. Everything from shutting down an entire neighborhood to where do we put the snipers? <laughs> Can the sniper be on the roof of the garage? Or will the podcast mics pick that up? To like, where uh, do they put all of the secret service? Where do they put all the PR people? It's fascinating. It is a fantastic episode to listen to. I'm going to put the link below this ep the episode to listen to them both, and you'll understand why today's episode came to be. After listening to that, I wrote to the podcast, and I asked Brandon, the producer, Brandon McDonald, if he would come on the show and talk about what it's like to put together WTF. And it's a great episode. Uh, I let him go deep into his process and how he puts together a podcast. So if you have ever been curious as to how these things are put together, how these things are made, if you're someone that wants to start your own podcast, this is a great episode for you. If you're someone that wants to learn how to talk to people, wants to learn to be a bit more empathetic, there's a lot of stuff in here that'll give you some insight into how Mark puts it together, how Brendan cuts these shows together. It's a great episode. I spent most of my time, as you will hear, just listening because I am completely fascinated with this entire process being someone that has been running a podcast for four years. Um, so I think this is a good one. This is a great addition to season three. We've had some great episodes this season. Uh, and it's really cool. I have to say this. It's really cool being a two-man show essentially here at the podcast, which is just me and Liam for as long as we've been doing it. Um, it's really nice to hear that Mark and Brendan have been at this for years on their own, essentially. And sure, they've had supporting staff around them and they get to a point where they need to have booking agents and all sorts of other people to get the caliber of guests they need. But it all started the same way that we're doing our show which is nice. It's nice to hear. So strap yourselves in, get ready. Uh, and before we get into the episode, I want to thank everybody for following me on Instagram. That's at uh, Mike Petchy on Instagram. Uh, lately, I've just been uh, bragging and showing off the fact that we're able to get out of our fucking COVID caves and get out into the public again, uh, hanging out with folks, hanging out with people, doing way too many barbecues, Way too many drinking sessions. <laughs> uh, being a guy that's turning 43 this year, uh, my body is uh, just pissed off. <laughs> Let's just be straight about it. It's like, dude, what the fuck? It's been a year of just chilling out, like maybe a drink a week, maybe having some food once in a while. God damn it. I am afraid I have to go get blood tested and I am just fucking dreading it. I can't wait. It's like knowing that you've been skipping school all year 
and uh, it's it's waiting to get that final report card. <sighs> we'll see. We'll see. I should be good. I the, the good news is is that I have been riding my bike consistently. Uh, I didn't get to do it today because we had an early episode, but I've been consistently out there riding my bike, trying to keep the blood flowing, trying to keep the cholesterol from sticking, and uh, trying to stay healthy as uh, we progress further into the no COVID zone, hopefully, uh, and uh, hopefully into uh, production on the movie. So we shall see. Everything is still moving ahead. I am uh, deep in uh, prep as we speak. I've been going through the long process of redesigning how I prep a film, redesigning uh, how I uh, do my homework on characters and do my homework for the actors. And it's been uh, incredibly rewarding. Uh, Thank you to, uh, once again, I'm plugging her. Thank you again to Judith Weston and her amazing books. And uh, right now I'm deep in the film director's intuition, but her other book, Directing Actors. Um, I just showed up quickly and briefly in, uh, what do they call that fucking app? I'm such an old dude. <laughs> uh, what do they call that app? Oh, Clubhouse. She was doing a Clubhouse thing, and her and uh, Adam Mortimer, from, uh, who directed Daniel Is Real, were in there. And I was asked to come in and just sort of make a cameo, which was fun. Um, and I just essentially just walked in the room and was like, thank you for everything you guys do. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> and I uh, walked out. But um, yeah, so life is good. Life is good, guys. Um, and that's it. That's it. That's the catch up that I'm going to give you right now. Because this is a great episode. It's a longer episode. Strap yourselves in. If you want to dig down deep into how podcasts are made, if you are a fan of WTF and you have been a fan of Mark Maron's podcast for a while, today I'd like to introduce you to the guy behind the scenes, to Mark's uh, partner for the show, Mr. Brandon McDonald. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy the episode and strap yourselves in. Grab those noise-canceling headphones. Well, you probably already got them on. Fuck. How did I ever come up with that slogan? Grab your noise-canceling. They obviously have the fucking headphones on, Michael. Jesus. Turn up those noise-canceling headphones, sit back, relax, and enjoy the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. Brandon, thanks for being on the show, dude. It's my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me, Mike. Um, <clears throat> I am just, look, I'll be completely transparent with you. I really, I've been listening to uh, WTF for years at this point. Um, and then I sort of, you know, like so much content that's out there, I sort of fell off the map for a while. And then I started uh, during quarantine and <laughs> concerned that I just become a huge fat ass with high cholesterol. I started riding a bike out here in Los Angeles and I was like, well, what am I going to listen to? And I started listening back to the podcast again. And so I was catching up and, uh, I, I listened to a, the Obama episode, but then the recap episode that you and Mark did. And I was like, this guy's fucking interesting. I want to have you on the show. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's kind of where this episode came from, is after listening to that one. 
Oh well, thanks. I I, uh, I know I know I keep myself kind of sparingly on the show, like uh, only in moments where it, it it makes sense to have my input. Uh, but I always try to deliver in those moments. So you know, there've been a couple that I've done with Mark on the air, and uh, you know, I always want to make sure people get why I'm there. It's not just I wasn't just some bystander. It was a you know integral part of the process. Yeah, and we'll get into that uh, that episode because there's so many fascinating things to that. Um, but before I just want to catch our audience up to uh, who you are and, and where you come from, like, how did you get started in this business? Did you get started in radio? Is that where it started with you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, st- I started in radio back in college. Uh, so like 1999 or 2000 or so, I started working at, you know, I would call it my college radio station, but it was actually, it was real benefit to go uh, to Fordham University where I went. They had a, a membership-supported NPR affiliate radio station. Uh-huh. So it was not like a college station. It wasn't something that you just heard on the college with a, you know, a, a kind of low-frequency station that people in the surrounding area – and some of those are awesome. Like there's one at Seton Hall that's, that in the area here people love, you know, oh, gosh, that, that station, they play great music and that. But this was like running NPR newscasts at the top and bottom of the hours. This was, they had a news department, they had a sports department. They had professional DJs who came from like, like classic FM stations. I don't mean classic rock. I mean, they were like, like WNEW, which here oh, wow. in like New York was like where John Lennon would go do guest sessions on the mic and stuff. So, yeah. uh, you know, they had professionals come in and the, the, the reason was like they had a good donor base, like not just from the college. You could have people who went to the college and graduated and gave money, but also like in Westchester surrounding areas, like all these like middle aged and older people like listening to, you know, Dar Williams and, and, and Bob Dylan music. And they were like, great, we, we love this you know, folk music radio station that gives us the news and they give it a lot of money. And so it was well-resourced and just, you know, for a kid at a liberal arts college, I was like, well, I kind of would like to do that. Mm -hmm. I didn't have any real plans beyond like a vague notion of wanting to be involved in like media in some way. And that seemed like a good, as good an entry as any, like a lot of people were at that time would like go intern at like the today show or something that just never <laughs> interested me. So, uh, I was, uh, I was doing that. I started focusing specifically on doing news while I was there. Oh, okay. And that was like the, the real kind of, um, turning point for me was, was seeing that, uh, the job entailed mostly stuff that happened before the microphones got turned on. Um, you know, like by a ratio of like 95 to one. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you, uh, you know, you really got a very good overall sense of how to produce radio from these little short newscasts that we were doing. Uh, that got me working into in news radio, uh, in New York city when I graduated and in about 2004, I was producing news radio, uh, at WNYC in New York. And then in 2004, the Air America Radio Network started up, which was the idea was for it to be like a a liberal answer to Rush Limbaugh. And it would, you know, hopefully, you know, have an impact during the 2004 election season. It was kind of started with that idea. And they went and recruited a bunch of comedians, Al Franken, Janine Garofalo. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had somebody who worked with at WNYC who kind of said, you should get in on this. I'm, I'm going there. You should you know, apply and see if they'll, this is, this is a big idea, big, big, uh, thing that's getting launched. Uh, 
So I, uh, I, I applied there. I got in there on the ground floor before it ever launched. And it was like, for me, it was actually perfect. Like I had always kind of thought doing the news, producing the news is great. But like when I was a kid, I listened to Howard Stern, you know, and when I was like <laughs> slightly older than a kid, I listened to This American Life. Like I want, you know, production. I, I want uh, a, a thing to sound like people put it together. And, you know, to me, even as a young person, Howard Stern felt like that. Yeah. Like totally. I drive to school listening to that in high school and just marvel at like the variety of it and the breadth of it. And like, man, they just, they work so hard on this show. Like that was something that was always there for me when I listened to it. I was like, they, they make it seem like they're just having fun. But I know, like even as like a 16 year old, I know this is hard work. Yeah, I know that it takes a lot for them to put this show together. So to me, it was like, okay, great. I have to take my news background. I can take my interests and I'm going to go to this radio station, this new network that's launching, that's hoping to use like comedy and uh, uh, insight and commentary as a way to convey its message. And it was like, this was at like the peak of like the daily show. Mm -hmm. Like these were all the things that were at the forefront of my mind of like, oh yeah, I could get on that track. <laughs> and then I showed up for work we, I literally did not know where I was working. I was hired as an associate producer. I did not know if I was going to be on the Al Franken show or the night shift or, or what. And I walk in and they, you know, with a big orientation day and they're like, uh, meet your boss. This is the executive producer of the morning show. So you go, okay, I'm going to be in the morning show. That's a shift. Like yeah. that's get up at 3am <laughs> shift. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, you know, here's the people you're working with. And one of them was Mark Maron. Uh, and he was hired as like the kind of funny guy on a trio of, you know, morning show anchors. There was um, supposed to be one that was going to handle like interviews, one that was going to handle the straight news. And then Mark was there as like the sidecar to, you know, pepper in sure. jokes and that, you know, it, it, it wasn't he wasn't thought of as like th this is going to be the driver. Right. Right. And uh, it was just from, you know, working there for a few months, um, it became clear that like, oh, this is the guy, right? Like we can do stuff with him. And, you know, for me, I just noticed right away how the way he talked worked in the environment of radio, in the medium. Like the idea of like, I, you know, someone who like l listened to a lot of radio and and tried to figure out what worked and what didn't. Yeah. I was like, oh, this guy's talking to people like individually. Yeah. And they can have a connection with him. It just was it was very clear quickly. Like I, I usually those things take time to develop and he did not. He had no prior radio experience either. So like it just was his nature to want to kind of reach through the mic and talk to one person like that. So, uh, you know, that became clear very quickly and, and that just started our working relationship. So we worked on that show for a number of years. When that ended, they, they canceled that show. They tried a different show with Mark out in LA, canceled that show. And I just spent the next several years trying to get this to work somewhere. I worked over at Sirius XM. I was like, can we do it there? Can mm. we, you know, I pitched it as like a daily show for radio and Mark would be like, you're Jon Stewart. And no, no takers. Um, and we finally, we started doing an internet video show in 2008 into 2009 uh, for uh, new bosses at Air America. It was a totally different operation by that point. Uh, we kind of knew it wasn't going to capitalize. Like it was pretty, you know, 
pretty lowly, low level resources at that point. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was Mark who first said, you know, what do you think about doing a podcast? Like when we could see that the time was winding down on this. And for me, by that point, so that's 2009, I'd already been listening to podcasts regularly since about 2007. Yeah. Um, so not like a super early adopter, but early enough that I was like getting them through my iPod, right? <laughs> like I was like syncing my iPod to the computer and that was how I'd get my shows for the week and listen to them until I re-upped the sync. Right, right. right. Uh, and so I was like, yeah, I love podcasts. I've listened to a lot of podcasts. I've tried to get you into some podcasts. <laughs> and I think what was happening with him was he was starting to like hear from other comedians who yeah. were doing it, you know, yeah. who were starting to like use it almost adjacent to like how in like 2005-ish, they all started moving on to like MySpace pages, right? <laughs> so like, and, and I remember him kind of scrambling to do that at the time. And this was kind of like another move. He saw, oh, what? like I see these comics, Jimmy Pardo and, you know, Jimmy Dore and these guys, they're all doing podcasts. Like, you know, I know Corolla now moved his radio show onto a podcast. Maybe you think we could do a podcast? And like, to me, it was one of those like, say no more yeah, yeah. things. Like, I'm like, I've been thinking about this. Like, not <laughs> not necessarily like doing it with Mark, but just like, if I, you know, had a podcast, what would it be like? And um, and it was really just a, the idea behind it for me was do all the things you want to do on the radio without the restrictions of radio. Right. The time format issues without, um, you know, program managers telling you what works, what doesn't work. and. So I, I was like good to go with it. And the, the logistics of setting up a podcast were to me very simple. I didn't have to worry too much about that. Um, and so by the time when he first asked me, I think it was July 2009 and September 1st, 2009, we released our first episode. Wow. Now in the beginning, was it, uh, has it always been sort of independently produced and independently put on? Like you guys weren't backed by anybody at that point, right? Yeah, right. It's it's we are still doing the show exactly the same way we did in September 2009. Um we of course now have strategic partnerships sure. where we uh you know have people who sell our ads, we have people who manage our archives, we have people who sell our merchandise. Um you know, we we are you know we hire uh talent bookers to get our guests. Like the operation is different, but but um in terms of the show itself and it's uh, ownership base and its production staff. It's still only two. It's me and Mark. So how was that first? Like how was that first year for you guys? Was it just like we're, this is for the love of it, and we're going to try to get this thing up and running, and we're just going to go with this? Because I assume it took a while before any sort of revenue came in on the show, right? It, it did take a while before revenue came in, but it did not take that long before it was clear to us that this wasn't just a side gig that we were going to do for like the love of it, for like a hobby. Um, that's what we thought. We thought it would be a cool thing. Like basically the idea was we knew we had a certain number of people who even in this failure of a streaming daily video show were regularly tuning in, like about a thousand people or so. Right. And we and then, you know, Mark had a mailing list. He had some he wasn't necessarily a draw as a comic at that point because he'd kind of taken himself out of the game for so long mm -hmm. as a radio host. Um the, but he had an audience. He had people, and especially it was kind of like a a, a very um, loyal audience that really saw something about him that they connected with, and they wanted to like support him and be there. So we kind of thought, well, listen, if we can convert 
some, you know, a good portion of those people have been watching that show regularly into regular podcast listeners and then start asking for like, you know, a monthly subscription fee or something, then this is nice side money in the kitty, right? Right, 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 right. So how and, did- uh, Yeah, well, what, what, what happened real quick yep. is that we just saw like the numbers far exceeding what we expected it to be that early on. Oh. So I think like by the third episode, we saw like 30,000 uh, listeners. <laughs> and that was, you know, for us at the time, like very shocking and surprising. And we thought like, well, this would be a total mistake to cordon this off, to paywall it, to restrict its growth in any way. Right. Like it clearly grew very fast, like in weeks beyond what we thought it was going to grow. So let's 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 work that angle now. Let's keep pushing this out there. Let's have more people exposed to it. And so by the end of that first year, it was literally a year later. I remember having a conversation with Mark, being like, "This thing is a thing now. Like <laughs> people know about it. People are coming on it. Uh, people talk about it." You know, with them was very obvious that the next steps were going to be how do you monetize it beyond, um, you know, just a side project? How how do you make this your living? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is like the ultimate question, especially. Right. I mean, the the, the landscape is so much different these days because every fucking like I've got a fucking podcast. Everybody's got a fucking podcast now, so it's like really difficult to get through that initial, I think. And then to see that you guys caught on so quickly, that's awesome. Obviously, I would have made the same decision at that point, like, fuck. Yeah. Um, so then, uh, what was what was like the first, what was the first season like for you? Like, what were your tasks? Were you the guy booking the guests? Or was Mark the person booking the guests? Were you guys just sending out was, emails? Yeah, it was mostly, you know, at that, specifically that first year, was like almost entirely like Mark texting people he knew, yeah, right? or email. So I send it like or sees somebody at a club and says, "You want to do the thing." And the the good thing was that even that within a very short amount of time, among comedians, people were like, "Hey, have you heard Mark's show? It's cool." Yeah. Like he like I think comics were just starting to kind of like yearn for that type of exposure not that our show was going to give them huge exposure but just the idea that they could have a place to kind of be their funny selves without you know working forever to have five minutes on a television show yeah. that you know only shows a very small part of who they are and you know that that was um uh kind of the the the, the way that i knew that that was happening in the comic community was the fact that the other shows that were doing the other hosts that were doing shows like ours, like let's say like Chris Hardwick, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, 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 uh, Doug Benson, we were all like communicating with each other. The producers, the hosts were talking to each other and everyone was like getting each other on their shows or like, you know, thinking of like, Oh, you're doing a show at UCB this week. I'm going to go do one at this place. And, you know, like there was a kind of coordination around the comic community of podcasts. And, um, you know, I'm sure that in over time, for the hosts, at least, there was like a mentally competitive part of that. But at first, it was much more like, hey, nobody knows what they're doing. Let's all just kind of help each other with this. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. you know, that that helped, too. And it helped like for a show like us, like where it's just two people and we were trying to, you know, do a, 
a twice weekly show mm-hmm. with you know no cessation um it, it, it was important to make sure that like the kind of community was developing and people had each other's backs but yeah for that first year we were just kind of like getting who we could get my production was like all like I was laser focused on making this thing sound good. Like I'd spent so much time listening to podcasts that I enjoyed, mm-hmm. but that I was like, these don't sound up to snuff, <laughs> you know? Right. And so I would just, I would focus heavily on just making sure we were putting out like a really good sounding product. Um, and you know, that, that's just those, all of those things, you know, as I talk about it with you, I realized like, wow, we've just like, We've never let that stuff go. Like we've never let go of the idea that we do two a week, no matter what. We've never let go of the idea of like, eh, it's okay for it to sound a little shitty. Like, nope, we have to, it has to sound good. You know, we have yeah. to, okay, it's a pandemic. We got to buy new mics. We got to set like this mic I'm talking to you on right now. Like we would literally mail that to people when they were guests so that, you know, it'd be better than, you know, them using their laptop mic. Right? Uh, so I wondered how you guys did that. That's See, I get this. I got that from you in that episode that I heard where you're an incredible perfectionist, <laughs> which, sure. which shows. It totally shows when you listen to the show, man. Like, uh, and that's fascinating. So, um, so you guys get you guys get a rhythm down. You guys are starting to develop a community. You guys are starting to understand that there's a, that there is a world in which you guys can you know make this a career. Um, yeah. What? Was there, was there in that freedom of not working in radio anymore, not having those responsibilities that come with whatever corporate giant is breathing down your neck? Um, was there a, a specific angle that you, did you want this to become even more relaxed than radio? Like, what did you, what did you fall in love with in that first season, and what did you guys lean into? What did you learn and lean into? Does that make sense? Oh, I, I mean, I, I just I thought, um, you know, I think like a lot of people who worked in radio and transitioned to podcasts that it was like, oh, we can do what we've always thought we, you know, knew how to do. We like we can work to the best of our abilities, but we're just going to, you know, have freedom of mind in doing it. And I, I just, you know, my, my thing was I've, I always had a realism about it that no matter how big podcasts get in my lifetime, like I literally mean till I'm gone from this planet, mm-hmm. more people will be listening to radio. Like that's just, it just is the nature of how technology moves and how accessibility uh, is paramount and more people will be putting the radio on in their car and listening to it that way uh, throughout this country, this country at least I'm speaking of. Um, then, then, you know, then, then downloading podcasts or listening to, uh, you know, iHeartRadio or Pandora or something like that, like they're going to listen to radio. So you don't have to worry about like, oh, you're going to transform the medium and that one is dying. And it's like, no, just do your thing the way you want to do it in this environment. Mm -hmm. Um, And the podcast environment to me was like, you know, it's, it's like being a kid and you go to a playground for your whole life and then one day you know your parents take you to a playground that has like a geodesic dome and like you know it's got like a zip line thing you're like wait you can put this in a playground like why don't all the playgrounds have this and so you know that that was how i felt about it i I wasn't i wasn't gonna be like um you know uh, uh worried or watching my back like are we doing the right thing i just felt like 
if we know what we're doing, if we are guided and we have a sense of what we're doing, it's going to be fine. And this, the medium will support it. Like that's what it's there for. It's there to support you, not the other way around. Okay, it is time for me to do the ad reads. Time to give some thanks to the men and women that make this show possible. I am talking about the sponsors. Now, before you skip ahead, just remember that it's important for us to show the sponsors that you're listening. So uh, make sure that you click on all the links that are embedded in the description of the show. Those links are traceable. The sponsors know. Uh, when you click on those things and that's why they've stuck around is because you guys have done a great job of just clicking on those links after the episode just to take a peek around see what they're doing and uh, I I am completely surprised at uh, well I shouldn't say that because I wouldn't have picked a sponsor (laughs) if I didn't think you guys were gonna like it Um, but there have been a bunch of you that have purchased Puget Systems there have been a bunch of you who have been talking to me about Quasar Um, I'm very happy with our sponsors. I think that uh, we've had a great relationship with them with the podcast, and I'm very happy that you guys love them too. Uh, And for those that are just showing up to the show, haven't listened to the show before, who am I talking about? Who is Puget Systems? Well, if you're in the market to buy a new computer, let's say that you're recording podcasts, let's say that you're editing video, uh, maybe you're color grading with Resolve, or maybe you're just a gamer that wants a better system. Uh, have you noticed that there always hits that point, usually right before I start a project, that all of a sudden I get the pinwheel of death, or for some fucking reason, after a recent update, the old codecs that I was using no longer work. It is incredibly infuriating. Um, what I did at that point is I ended up going, look, I'm tired of these ridiculous updates. I'm tired of, for some reason, when I do a software update, suddenly it renders all of my hardware useless and then I'm locked out of the machine. I can't update it with new hardware. So I said, fuck it, I'm jumping ship. I'm gonna build PCs. And I didn't wanna build PCs myself. No longer am I 19 years old building gaming PCs. I'm busy, I'm running a podcast, I'm running a business, I'm trying to direct films. I don't have time to uh, be hunting through the internet to figure out what pieces of hardware work with what pieces of hardware and what's the hottest new graphics card out in the market. Does that really make a fucking difference with an older version of Premiere, right? And so I'm like, look, I need to find a company that's going to help me with this. I need customer support. Uh, because there's too much on the line right now. I can't be trying to deliver a film or deliver a music video to a client and suddenly dealing with horrific hardware issues. Um, So I looked high and low and I found, specifically found a company that's family owned, that uh, builds amazing PCs and a company that doesn't manufacture hardware, which essentially means they're not gonna be peddling off their shit on me a company that does all this research, benchmark tests all these different hardware manufacturers, runs them hard with the software that we all use, and posts about it on their website for free. Uh, A company that has a great price, they're more concerned about putting the money into that box than they are about the unboxing experience, right? 
I mean, how much do you spend? How much additional do you spend on, on cult marketing and then on packaging that essentially you, you feel bad throwing it out? But it's it's literally a box that ships the thing that's important to your house. And there has been this whole culture around the unboxing experience that's been around for quite some time now. And I hated paying for that. I love it. Send it in a big, dirty, ugly box. That means it cost me nothing. <laughs> that means all the cash that I put down went into the computer. Puget Systems is the company I found. I talked with these guys for a while before we built a system. Uh, but they really wanted to know what I did. They wanted to get deep into my world, into my work. They looked at my work and they're like, okay, so what are your problems? What is it that you need from a system? Can you imagine a company asking you that these days? That's awesome. You know, like what can we do for you? How can we make this a tool that works for you? I love that. Instantly fell in love with these guys. They built me my first Puget system. Oh my God, it's been like six years at least. They built me my first Puget system, shipped it to me in the mail, and uh, I was off and running with it. I loved it so much that we built a second, I built a third, um, and I'm currently, I have cut anything that you've seen over the past seven years, whether it's my films, whether it's music videos, whether it's commercials, I have cut them all on a PC, I have cut them all on a Puget system. I love these guys. Uh, the One of the things that I love the most about them is that I'm constantly talking with them. I'm constantly going back and forth. They know my computer. They know my stuff. I think they even have it set up. Don't quote me on this, but I think they even have it set up where they can remotely log in if you need it and they can figure out what's going on if you're having any hardware issues. And the thing that's great about a PC is that as things progress, you can just update hardware, right? So instead of like having to drop another, what is the new fucking Apple edit system? Is it like 10 grand, 20 grand? I don't even know what it is. I have to look at it. I know the prices are ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. Uh, instead of having to upgrade, why don't you just upgrade hardware? Still use the same system that you were running before. As long as the motherboard supports it, just upgrade the hardware. I, I just never got that. I, there's this whole culture of, of subscription services and disposable hardware shit. Drives me nuts. Anyway, without getting on a rant, if you're looking for a new way to build a computer, if you're looking for a stronger PC, if you're looking for something that is going to handle 4K, 6K, if you're a video editor, if you're looking for something that is custom built for the software you use, because believe it or not, if you, you can't really build one computer that does everything perfectly. You can build a computer that does everything well. Like currently, my system is configured for Premiere, it's configured for Photoshop, it's configured for Audition. So any of the Adobe products work really fucking well on this system. Uh, if you were listening to the show during the pandemic, you know that I was also lost for a little while in the gaming world and I was playing uh, Cyberpunk and uh, that fucking thing ran beautifully. I just couldn't help but chuckle when anybody would do a post on like, I don't know, the game runs like shit on my, on my new PlayStation. It's like, well, you should have got a fucking Puget system, man. Of course it runs like shit on your PlayStation. They're cramming like the most affordable hardware into a box that they have to sell at fucking GameStop. So if you're serious about gaming, build yourself a PC. And if you're someone that doesn't know how to build a PC, reach out to Puget Systems. Even if you want to build it on your own. 
these guys post all their fucking benchmark tests. They really give a hand and a guiding hand to people that are trying to build PCs. They love the community and they love to build this community. So head on over to PugetSystems.com and check them out. All right. Also, supporting the show are my good buddies over at Quasar Science. I was just there yesterday. I went down, hung out with my boy from Quasar. They just gave me uh, a brand new light, which I'm excited about. It's the new Rainbow 2 light. And what's great about the new Rainbow 2? Let me just read right off the website. Ultra low profile with new pixel control. It's pretty awesome. Introducing the R2, the sequel to the original Rainbow Linear LED light. This design adds a multitude of new features while keeping the same sleek, sturdy low profile shape as many of the legacy Quasar products that you've grown to love. The R2 is offered in three lengths. So you can get it, uh, oh my God, they do it in inches. Okay, so 91 inches, 47 inches, and 23 inches. Ridiculous. Uh, all built with multi-pixel control, multi control without compromising the clean color or high output that they've always been known for. The Q25R2 offers 10 pixels, the Q50R2 offers uh, 24 pixels, and the Q100R2 allows for 48 separate pixels. What does this mean? This means that there's a lot that you can program into this light. A lot of effects, a lot of chasing effects. You can upgrade the software in this light to keep current with a lot of the effects that they're loading on it, like flame effects, fire effects, cop effects, even bigger and, and, and badass. And the thing that I love about this new model is that they've now put a back mount on it. Prior to this, any of the older models, I was always concerned about clamping to the light. Maybe I clamped too hard. Uh, maybe once or twice I may have fucked up one of the lights by doing that. Now they have this really cool backsliding feature. They have an awesome uh, baby pin screw that goes directly to the lamp. They have what looks like a tripod plate that slides on the back. You can also slide battery on the back of it. It's really cool stuff. And I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about it on the show yet, but Quasar has merged with a much larger company now, which means that they now have access to great batteries. They now have access to great accessories. So it's a very exciting time for Quasar. I'm talking to these guys about becoming a bigger sponsor on the show. So uh, do me a favor, everybody. I'm going to put the link below the episode for their Instagram. Head on over and comment on any of their pictures and just say thanks for supporting and love with the process because I'm gonna try to get these guys to jump on and be a much larger fucking uh, sponsor for the show. We're gonna try to tackle the company that they just merged with uh, and make it a bigger deal. So we get more access and I can try to get some deals for you guys, more access to bigger and better gear. So head on over to quasarscience.com and check out the new Rainbow 2. I'm gonna be fucking with it in the next couple weeks. I'm excited, I'm excited to play with new toys. Uh, okay. So those are the two big sponsors for today's episode. But if you're new to the show, if you've been listening to the show, you know the deal. Head on over to inlovewiththeprocess.com. There, I've sorted all the episodes based upon subject material. Uh, and you can check out all the supporting material for the show. You can check out anything that you need on the podcast. And right now, I'm going to wrap up my ad read because I'm doing this before I record the show. And it looks like Brandon is just showing up. <laughs> There's some behind the scenes. So... Go to inlovewiththeprocess.com, check us out, and let's get back to the show. I.e., Mike's going to go start recording the show. Okay, thanks. 
so so now fast forwarding to to where we are now and you guys have done like you know over 1200 episodes <laughs> you guys are what like 1240 yeah. episodes right now yeah yeah 1240 deep yeah that's crazy man um so what is what is it like for you now are you are you you're in new york right you're not out here in los yep. angeles so you're not there for all the recordings with mark right he what does he no, just record them? almost never i just literally was out there la last week uh and and mostly really just to take a trip uh but i happened to be there when he had quentin tarantino on so i was there for that recording um and you know there's a handful of other times i've been there for recordings mostly at times where he's you know, taking the the uh, recording remotely. Like if he's had to go to Bruce Springsteen, like I'll go with him as a producer, like, you know, make sure that everything is happening, working before mm -hmm. he has to like hit the button. Um, you know, we've done live shows. I've done those with him. But the, you know, beyond vast majority, like almost all of the shows are recorded just in his garage with him and one other person. And then, you know, he sends the file to me and I pr produce the show. Um, you know, we, we talk before and after every interview. So it's, it's not, it's not like we have a lack of communication about what the interview was or what worked or what didn't work. And then once the pandemic hit and we started doing um, stuff the way you and I are doing it right mm -hmm. now, rem remotely, but, but with mm -hmm. a visual component, um, you know, at first there was a little, adjustment to that but once mark kind of locked in on on a comfortable way to do it for himself it's been really great because like i set those up and then i'm on it with him and it feels like our old radio days where like i can you know back then i'd have like a he'd have an ifb in his ear and i could get get in there and tell him <laughs> you know what to say or do or take an angle this way or that way uh we're not doing that with a with a vocal presence now, but I can message him and say, and he can see it right there on the screen, right next to the person he's talking to that says like, they just said this, you might've missed it. Go back to that, you know, whatever kind of production guidance I can give him in the middle of the interview. Uh, he's, as, as you know, is like, you know, tremendously adept at speaking to people. And so it's not like he's a newbie interview that needs a producer to hold their hand and guide them through like right. he can handle these things right right uh, very easily and um and and yeah so it's it's not been it's not been that much of a, an adjustment for us and the the way we kind of set the show up in the first place was so that i could be at home in new york and he moved back to la in in uh I think it was October of 2009. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we just had it set up so that he could record and send me the files and I would produce it. And, you know, back then a lot, it was a lot more piecemeal, the show. We, we wouldn't record hour long interviews with people. He would talk to lots of people, maybe for 20 minutes, a half hour. He'd maybe do a phone call with someone. We were really still just like going on our radio approach of like, you do segments, you do segmented Right. Uh, discussions and topics. And, you know, yeah, maybe uh, they went longer than a radio segment, you know, 25 minutes, 40 minutes, as opposed to eight. Yeah. <laughs> but we still weren't thinking along the lines of like, oh, this show is like a, a you know, a one hour long profile of a given person, which is kind of what it evolved to. So Mark would go and sit and record all this stuff without any sense of how it was going to go into a show and then just send it all to me. And I just chunk it and build the episodes and then get back to him and be like, okay, this episode is going to be, 
you know, this guest and this guest and this little improv bit you did with a comedian, they all thematically kind of link together. And I just need you to record X, Y, and Z to kind of help make the jumps. And that was maybe the first like several months of doing the show was, was, uh, you know, putting it together that way. And I think because of our experience in doing it like that, it's made it very easy for him to be like, okay, I'm going to talk to this person you know, for an hour and a half or whatever. And Brendan is going to be able to make this the most um, presentable version of that conversation, you know, which gives him some freedom to take chances or mm-hmm. takes things down a path that it might not result in anything. And then yet we're still delivering in the final product, like what a person would be like, oh, that's like the best version of an interview with that individual I've ever heard. You know, that that's that's like our ideal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I when I started my show, I was very much into because I'm from uh, being a film director. I'm from a directing background and an editing background and all that stuff. And so, my first season of it was like very heavily edited, and I was spending a lot of time like mixing in sound effects and mixing in all this world stuff. And and then yeah. uh, I, I found that over time, it really just became about the conversation. And over time, it just was like this is better suited to be stripped down, and this is better suited to just be very casual and and i started to have my guests come into the space which i always loved about your show was that mm-hmm. people would literally fucking show up to mark's house and go into yeah. his garage and and do this and and that vibe ends up a from from an interview standpoint that vibe ends up becoming so much cooler because i immediately have the opportunity to connect with the guests as they come into the space and we'll literally sit down and like make sandwiches and fucking have beers and and talk about stuff and you end up selfishly as the host it ends up becoming such a better experience for me because i'm like look i'm connected oh, sure. i'm connecting with these people it would be different if you and i were sitting in the same space and sitting around and having mimosas and talking about this shit you know yeah so, so i i love that stuff and then the pandemic really sort of fucking put a wrench in that um and i had to go the same process like we're doing now and and interviewing someone over zoom and like trying to connect with you over this electronic device it takes just a little bit longer it's a little bit stranger but you know the access is fucking great because then you can get anybody you know without having to lose leave their home so then you're convincing people like oh it's not a big deal you can wear your fucking pajamas I'm like i'm not recording today's video this is just so that we can see each other yeah same we do the same we 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 don't record the video and and yeah it has allowed us to get people we probably wouldn't have gotten you know who who feel more comfortable or at ease with talking to mark you know from their homes they don't feel like there's any pressure on them mm-hmm. so that's been great and we we found it's a good adjustment but it's really nice to start be starting to have people back like yeah um you know we've kind of got a a a rule in place now with our bookers that's like look the remote thing that's for like last resort you know we absolutely can't get this person any other way you know they're in new york and mark's in la and and they're not going to be in la anytime soon like let's do it that way but sure otherwise we're kind of we've gone back to the old uh dictate of you got to be in person you know it was much easier uh pre-pandemic if a guest was like, I have to go out to his house to be on the show, like, be like, yes, the president did it. You can do it. Which is insane, which is insane. And, and, you know, let's transition into that. Like, for those of you listening that haven't heard the episode, uh, definitely go tune into it um, because there's something so exciting about the fact that you guys convinced 
or or somehow fell into the situation in which the president of the United States was coming to Mark's house in a small neighborhood here in, in Southern California. Like, what was that? How did you guys get President Obama? Well, it started out as a request to have uh, Joe Biden on the show, actually. Ah. It was um, it was a, a, a person with his press shop was, a, you know, had listened to the show and uh, I think had been turned on to it by a family member who said, you got to listen to this. It's great. And I believe she told me like the first inter- episode she listened to was Will Ferrell. And she she was like, I thought I knew who that guy was from, you know, TV and movies and I knew nothing. Right. And this was, you know, a kind of revelatory experience listening to this. And she started going back and listening to other episodes. And, you know, that's it's good. It's just good um, advance work for someone like that to, you know, then go back to their boss and say, I think I've got a good media opportunity for you. It's better than, you know, going on 60 minutes and getting grilled about whatever. And it'll give people a sense of your personality and, this was in like 2014, so I don't think there was a total locked-in sense yet either that he wasn't going to run back then for for in 2016. Uh, um, you know, they were probably trying to lay a little groundwork for you know him making a presidential run, and we were open to it. Like it was, it wasn't like we. It was a little weird for the show. Like, okay, we you know we'll have the vice president of the show on it's fine but uh, the vice president of the country on the show but like we just do comedians but like there was something about joe biden especially having worked at air america for so long that we're like well we know this guy like we like he was like in the thick of like the the the, the mid-2000s senate stuff we you know we're covering him all the time and we know his personality we could talk mm-hmm. to him and just you know See if there's anything in there. Let's do it. So we said yes. And then it just kind of was one of those things that, quite frankly, that I expected that like died on the vine. It just was like we stopped hearing anything and you never know why. And you just assume it's just there's other things going on, right? Well, it turns out what happened was the people who had specifically come to me about doing this, they moved up to the executive office. They started working for Uh. Obama. And it just became this thing of like, they were pacing themselves, you know, they're newly in the role. They're not going to just like throw out this idea of, um, you know, Hey, why don't you have a president go on this podcast in this guy's garage? (laughs) Right. So it took about like a year later for me to finally hear back from them and, and say like, you know, we're still thinking of doing something. Uh, maybe it would involve the president this time. Like they just dropped it in there like very casually. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, let's talk about that. That sounds like something we want to talk about. And then it was just like staying in touch. Like at this point, I'm like, once that got floated out there, I was like, all right, now this one shouldn't die on the right. Like I need to make move heaven and earth to make sure that we are accommodating everything here so that this happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just a lot of like, you know, old fashioned uh, relationship building. Yeah. You know, we just were, we just got to a point where both sides like really trusted each other and we're like, okay, like this can happen. Uh, they knew we weren't going to like screw with them for like self serving reasons. We know, we knew that they weren't going to prevent us from doing the type of show that we wanted to do. Right. Uh, quite frankly, they were like, over accommodating on that front, like going to 
our location, uh, giving us full edit of the show. Like there, there was no oh, um, yeah. idea that they had to like vet the show before it aired or anything. Uh, you know, we just basically were like, we need to do the show we do. We need to be able to ask him the questions we ask of all guests, regardless of their station in life. Like Mark does an interview about someone's life. He's trying to connect with a person and, and get the, the, the inside of that person out. Yeah. And they fully got it. Like that was in complete agreement the whole time. And, and I, I think that just happened because it was a, a lengthy relationship building process. If that hadn't been there, uh, you know, and they needed to do something right away, like it probably would have been more scripted or, um, you know, uh, regimented, I should say, instead of scripted. It must have. <laughs> so was it a quick transition from like, this might happen to all of a sudden, fuck, this is actually happening. And when that did happen, how stressed out were you at that point? It was it was not a quick transition to to like, this might happen to it is happening. But I will say like the day when I got the email that was like, we're ready to go. We could like, this is on. I was like, my God, like I just, I, like even as it was progressing, I kept waiting at every moment, literally right up until the day before the interview happened. I kept waiting for the plug to get pulled, you yeah. know, just, just like, and, and would have fully understood it if it happened. Like, yeah, <laughs> other things happen in the world and the president can't do the podcast in the garage. I get it. <laughs> but so when they, like, I remember getting that email that they were like, this is happening. And, you know, it was like time to go, time to get everything rolling. Uh, it was uh, quite a shock, but I wasn't, I think that the build up to it prepared me enough. I had already been putting a lot of stuff in place should the occasion arise that it did happen yeah. so that really all my bases were covered. I, and and they continued to be so. Like I was, I mean, you know, as you mentioned, I kind of uh, put a lot of attention to detail into things, and like <laughs> I, I just made sure there was just no stone unturned. Like I, I I just was all over that, and and recruiting every amount of help that I could from every place that I could. Well, what a lot of people don't realize is that. <laughs> To have the president show up to your garage isn't like just like okay i'll make room in the driveway for his limo <laughs> like it's a right. fucking huge production like the stuff that you guys were talking about in the recap show where <laughs> dealing with snipers and dealing with like shutting down an entire neighborhood shutting down an entire thing uh yeah there's no such thing as low profile for, for something like that right no correct and you know the 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 best part of it for me was like as a as a detail oriented person was like oh my god there's other people like this like <laughs> the secret service like they don't miss a trick like they're on top of it and so uh you know that was that that was the exciting part of the thing for me i mean of course it was exciting the day of the actual interview and to you know meet the president and have him do the show and that's all very cool but like for me the like the the memory that i take that lasted much longer than than just the you know the brief moment in time that the interview happened mm -hmm. was like wow like uh, you know i had to like coordinate this with the u.s government like we were <laughs> we were like uh in partnership for a week and uh, it was you know that you know i'd see things on the news that i'm like oh my gosh we're part of that like you know the talking about like all oh, the presidential motorcade will be going from you know 
such and such a place to a helipad in Santa Monica where he'll then be flying to Pasadena Rose Bowl. And I'm like, yeah, that's he has to do that because of us. Like <laughs> we 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 made the president have to fly a helicopter across L.A. Like that's all wild. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so, yeah, it was it, it, it was like one of those things like I remember saying to myself, if this happens, I need to be aware at all times of what's going on because mm-hmm. I don't want to forget this stuff. This is not going to happen again like this, right? Like it's going to ha- there's going to be other cool things, there's going to be other things I find fulfilling, but like this is a unique thing. Like even if another president comes on, <laughs> there's not going to be another time where you had the first time you had a president on the show, right? Yeah. And so I just made sure to kind of take down notes on everything that was happening, remember everything. I, I'm really good, glad that we did that podcast episode too, because it kind of enshrined the moment in real time for me and Mark, like how we reacted to it uh, just right after it happened. It was great. I mean, it was, I, I, I mean, I love the Obama episode, but it was almost better than the Obama episode. Just understanding from this side, being a guy that produces a podcast and goes through all that, just the fucking logistics on it. And, and, I, like I said, I love the story of the snipers and like dealing with where the snipers go and, and yeah. you know, and, and like that weird like Kevlar thing that he was sitting on or whatever you guys describe that as. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. it's so weird. And uh, there's been a few times that I've been around Secret Service and in that scenario and, and they are like it, it, it's like this quiet force that that is so on point. It's like if you could take eagles' heads and put it on a bunch of dudes and just watch yeah. them just like hunting for anything that's wrong. Um, it yeah, must well, one, story been- I rem- one story I didn't tell during that podcast that, I, you know, uh, you know, I felt like, oh, maybe that's a little sensitive. They, they don't want me sharing that. But uh, they would make you wear, and it was just me and Mark, so it was really just me. Uh, I had to wear a little pin that had an insignia on it and it so it showed i'm part of the group right like um you know that way if i'm congregating around members of the white house staff or around or near the president um i'm identified Mm -hmm. and uh (laughs) there was this moment so we we, you know mark and the, the president are in the garage and it was a very hot day uh we were sitting out on mark's deck I had a bunch of headphone jacks hooked up and, you know, myself and the White House staff were out there listening to it. Uh, And it got very hot, so I took my suit jacket off and the pin was on the suit jacket. And the Secret (laughs) Service agent who was stationed right at the door of the garage uh, was, uh, had told me before uh, the recording started, he said, if you could just come and tell me when we've hit a half hour so that I know we're halfway done. Yep. Um, you know, he was not standing there with any, you know, communication or anything like that because he didn't want to um, interfere with the broadcast. He just had to be stationed at the door of the garage. So I look at my my timer. I see we're at a half hour. I got to go let that guy know. I get up from my seat. <laughs> I walk. We had a little tarp set up so that like the people on the deck would be blocked off from the entrance to the garage. And I go to walk through that tarp and I still don't remember exactly who it was, whether it was a staffer or another secret service agent, but he just like put his arm on my shoulder and he was like, where's your pin? (laughs) And I looked down, I realized I wasn't wearing my jacket and I was like, oh, good call. And I ran back and put that jacket on. And as I went through that 
uh, and like, you know, this tarp was right by the door of the garage. So it's like tarp and like, think of like a stage curtain, right? Yeah, Enter, yeah, yeah. you're right there at the garage <laughs> and there's a secret service guy standing there with an open door with open access to the president. And I'm like, you know, they never told me, but would they have taken me out? Like if I just like walked through that curtain and stood in front of the door where the president is in open air having a conversation with uh, with with a podcaster, I was like, holy crap! I'm glad that guy grabbed me by the shoulder and uh, told me to put my pin back. Up. In the background, you just hear the softest little puff yeah. of a of a <laughs> silencer <Yeah>. flop. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, and that's man. the last episode of the show. <laughs> wild. Yeah, fucking wild, man. What a great adventure. And smart on you to be standing in the middle of that hurricane and just looking around and taking notes. Like so many, yeah. so many people get, and even when I'm doing uh, films and film sets, I try to convince myself the same thing where there are moments where I'm like, just take a fucking minute. It took years to get to this point. Just take a minute and look around and love this. And there's so much stress and anxiety that's stacking on this. Because at the end of the day, after you finish these projects, it goes out, whether it's a film or whether it's that episode about Obama, but then the memory, all these really great things that you were able to observe are the most important takeaway for me, at least. And it sounds the same for you, right? Yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, that's, it's literally why we're still doing it today because, you know, Mark and I've talked about this many times and it's like, we're going to stop doing the show when it's no longer reward rewarding for us. Yeah. But like, I just literally like went out there with him and sat in the room while he talked to like a, an idol of mine, uh, you know, in Tarantino. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, at least an artistic idol. Like I, I don't know the man personally and I, I don't, I don't tend to like have like, you know, personal hero worship, but it's like, if you put it, you know, on, on a list of like the people who's like, works have meant the most to me in life like he's right there in like the top five yeah and and just to be like okay not only did we craft this like we we first of all we got it to happen like the show is is a at a level enough that he's like yeah i'm cool with this i'll go do that so that's rewarding uh we then also got to like choose how it's going to go like you know you know mark and i both like basically crafted a an arc to that interview that we found would be a good approach that wasn't just, you know, gonna allow him to just tell the same stories he's always told about working in the video store and you yeah. Know, yeah, yeah, how yeah. he came up with Reservoir Dogs, whatever. And, and then to have him come and be excited about doing it and to, when it was done, say he was super, like he couldn't believe it went like that, that it was just a conversation. He doesn't have conversations like that when he does interviews, like, Okay, all that still very rewarding, and yet I still get to sit down and make it into an episode. Like yeah. that's that's like the icing on the cake. Like I get all I get all these experiences. I get to have the moments. I get to like achieve the thing that like if you talked to me when I was fifteen and said like you're gonna do that, I'd be like that's crazy. Get out of here. <laughs> uh, and then I still get to do the part of the process that I started at in the beginning. You know, yeah, yeah, I get yeah. to make an episode. I get to sit there and edit it. I get to, you know, play around with, uh, uh, you know, okay, where, you know, where should I actually have it start? Where does the music come in? Where do we, uh, you know, where do I, where do I let some pauses linger because it's a good impactful moment when he's talking about his dad, you know, like making all those choices, like it's the fun stuff. It's the reason why I did it in the first place. So, uh, you know, we've talked about it a long time. We used to like joke, 
back before, you know, maybe we'd been doing it like four years, five years, like, well, hey, how about we do this show for 10 years and, you know, then hang it up. Mm-hmm. Well, 10 years came around and it was like, well, don't really feel like hanging it up. And it wasn't because <laughs> we can't. We could if we wanted to, you know, we, we're both doing really well and we both feel like we've got lots of life left in us. We could do other things, but it's still satisfying. It's still probably for both of us, like the most satisfying professional thing we've ever done or will ever do. So like you don't get rid of that easily. Yeah. And did you guys, was there ever a point where you guys were like, hey, maybe we should film this? Or did you always say this should just still be radio and audio format? Yeah, no, I mean, we we like dicked around with it a little bit at the start, um, you know, in a in a very like basic way. Like this was really before people were filming a lot, like doing a lot of like, you know, podcasts that are de- deliberately designed to be watched live um, and, yeah, and, you know, yeah, yeah. real kind of emphasis on YouTube streaming. Uh, the This was more like, a, you know, the 2010, 2011 era where like, people were using, you know, three to five minute chunks of video to supplement and to drive people to their product. And so there wasn't a sense like this is going to be a, like a, a streaming simulcast, but there was a sense like, well, maybe we should be getting some video so that, you know, it helps promote the episode. It brings mm-hmm. in audience that wouldn't be from elsewhere. And we just found that with the few times we experimented with that, the episodes felt flat. So I saw like the, the, just the, the, even inkling of introducing a video element to the environment caused a, a, a change in the temperature, right? Yeah, and 100%. it's just this kind of observer effect thing that happens. You know, Judd Apatow said it in, in the press once. Some, you know, some article I think maybe for Entertainment Weekly that was written about the show, and uh, you know when it was starting to really grow and get popular, and. Um, some they you know were asking people who did the show like what's its appeal or whatnot and Judd said you know there's part of you that when you do this show you think he's going to lose the tape you know you think that he's going to uh, you know forget that he was recording which which he has done once or twice <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. but like I think that element is you know we we we've always kind of had it in our minds that one of the it's one of the few uh, existing long form interviews with Robin Williams. Um, it's from our show. Um, you know, anytime there's some documentary being done on him, uh, we get a call to license that interview. And it's just, there's not a lot of historical record of him speaking for over an hour on tape. Like there's print interviews with him. Sure. But on tape where he was just relaxed and comfortable and he wasn't doing any shtick he wasn't he didn't feel he needed to be on right and and we knew not a question we knew that it was just because it was him and mark in a room and that had, if there had been one other person he would have been playing to that person for a laugh it's just a, right. not not a fault it's the nature of who he is as well as most other comics and ultimately most other people uh, you know mark always remembers it as being you know when he was on the radio and you know myself and others were behind a pane of glass in the control room he was always playing to us and was you know it was nothing he was going to hear because it was soundproof but he was hoping to see the heads go back and the laughs happen because of something he said it's just his natural impulse and so 
yeah, it was decided very early on we weren't going to do video, just period, no video. And it just kind of came a selling point of the show, in fact, you know, both to guests where we'd say, you don't have to worry about how you look or you don't have to dress up or anything. You're not going to take any video. And uh, and then also, you know, in a sense of like to distinguish it as a, 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 a elemental to the podcasting medium. You know, no, no, yeah. this is audio. We value audio. We don't think you need to be looking at this. We believe the show exists in the mind. So that's what we're going to stick with. It's probably cost us, you know, millions of dollars when I see the deals that uh, <laughs> uh, people are getting, like, uh, you know, for for simulcast streaming. But, uh, you know, it wouldn't have been our show. It wouldn't have been our comfort zone. And I, re- I am a true believer in, like, staying in your lane. Yeah, dude, I completely agree with all of it. It was something that I learned years ago when I was doing uh, documentary work and you would have a, a preliminary conversation with whoever your subject was. And then as soon as you fucking walked in uh, camera and lights and crew, the the people that weren't familiar with being in that scenario would suddenly change and it'd be the sense of fear. And then as the interviewer, you're just trying to tunnel vision them past all yes. those elements and into that moment. And you're like, just ignore all the shit. It's just you and me, it's just you and me. And when I started to do this show, I thought about that hard. And I, I realized that there is something, there's two things that I love about doing audio only. One, you get the real interview, you get that real stuff. Two, it's the same rule that we have when we film it, when we were in filmmaking. Don't give the audience everything. Allow room for them to imagine these things. Allow room for them to paint what the scenario is in their head. Um, and this is what I really like about uh, your show. And specifically recently, when I was listening to the episode with uh, Kristen Hurst uh, from Throwing mm-hmm. Muses, her voice, I I couldn't picture her face when I was listening to that episode. It had been so long since I'd seen her. So all I had was her voice. And when you when you have on these headphones, noise canceling headphones or whatever the fuck it is, and you're you're literally able to almost be in their voice box in that space, you hear with the raspy tone, you hear with her inflection, the years of experience, the years of knowledge the years of 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 um of hard lessons that she's learned and mm-hmm. mix that with marks and marks is the same thing you know that mark's been through some shit when you listen to him talk you know that he is totally um humble about how he does it and you guys do a really good job of making sure that he's just like look i i don't know what the fuck you know it's fine and i love that about that because then suddenly there isn't it isn't a spectacle. It isn't a show, you know? And and then you're like, fuck, he does this in his garage, right? And then it took me a long time. I intentionally didn't do it. I didn't look to see what the garage looked like. I didn't look for a photograph or anything because I was painting in my own head. I had this whole fucking illustration of like, like paraphernalia on the wall and like cats with wagging tails walking over the fucking desk. Like this world that I built that is so much more vibrant than you know seeing what you and i are looking at right now you know what i mean like this Mm -hmm. video picture so um i i I get from a business standpoint you're like fuck like you know if we're on youtube and it's so much more valuable because everybody wants to see things these days but i respect it man i respect the fact that like there's such a a great imaginary world that surrounds the wtf podcast because i can't see it you know i think i think you know what you know 
my my monetary thing there is like a wishful thinking thing too, because who knows if the show would achieve the success it's had on the level that we're at if we had a video component and it winds up diminishing the impact of the show. You know, yeah. like uh, again, it's like that's the type of thing where then I'm not then I'm out of my lane and I'm having to figure out like, well, okay, how are we, how are we visually producing this where Mark can be more active with people? You know, we we had a, a lot of as you could I'm sure you can imagine. Um, people approaching us to do this as a as a TV a televised talk show yeah. throughout the years, um, and you know, thankfully, most of the pitches that we got were like just on their on their face; they were bad enough to just reject. Um, <laughs> that, like you know, essentially, like oh well, Mark could do this at ten o'clock on CNN or whatever. And it's like, are, are you crazy? Like, what he's gonna? Because then, like, you're gonna. We know what winds up happening. It's like he's going to have to interview James Carvel too, or whatever, like within the, the, the crew of that world. And it's like, that's, that is not what we're doing. Or like we had pitches to, you know, basically do it on a, a garage set, you know, like a, <laughs> like a, a three walled set that looked like his garage. And it's just like, it like the scene from Wayne's world is just playing in my head where they're like, <laughs> you know, on the, the fake version of Wayne's basement. And, and so like, it was very easy to say no. And then, Around 2015 or so, when Vice was launching its television network, they were uh -huh. launching Viceland. Yep. They approached us to do TV. It was it was something that you know, kind of a decision that was made outside of me. And but Mark came to me and was like, "But if I do this, I want you to basically be there producing." Like, and I said, "That's fine. I you know I, I I'm fully on board with like your career. Like I don't need." To, it, to, to be all WTF all the time. Mm -hmm. And so this wouldn't be WTF. It was going to be something else where Mark was the host of a talk show. And, you know, the idea was go to people like in environments that were important to them that where they could, um, you know, conjure up memories or whatnot. And I think this pilot was the only thing that was shot of it uh, was with John Cameron Mitchell. And they went to the location of the hotel where he first mounted Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Uh, they, they um, you know, they, it was like a, a process that was trying to replicate like Mark's process. Like, how did he engage with this guy? He watched a bunch of the, you know, his, his other films and he, uh, you know, then walked around in Greenwich Village where, you know, the drag scene was at the time. And then he goes to John Mitchell's apartment and they meet and they walk to the hotel. It was a lot of like, the idea was we were going to place you there and you have this conversation right. and, and then it builds out into a talk and they sit down in the hotel, they film it. And I remember being there while they were filming and thinking it was going well, it was going about as well as anything we would do in the garage. And then once we watched it, I was like, this is like, every other talk show dude yeah like, it's 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 just the the nature of making a cut from an interview subject to the interviewer reacting to what they're saying yep i i, I don't care that it's mark it's like it's it's a it's visual language that automatically communicates to you something that's prefabricated that you've seen before that it just slots it boom boom right into that genre and into uh you know an already created idiom and you know mark was in agreement and it just it was again one of those things that happens a million times like it didn't go any further than that we were like everybody kind of extricated themselves from it and and, and i'm sure there were maybe <laughs> you know people that wanted it to keep going but 
it just wasn't going to be the thing. And, right. Because right. then, you know, it, yeah. Because you're so passive at that point as an audience member. Once you get into that rhythm, once you get into that formula, you're like, what the fuck difference does it make if it's Mark or if it's somebody else at that point? That's like, right. That's right. It's it's That's fascinating. Fascinating. And it, what, like I said, I find that what you guys do to be so much more entertaining, like specifically, <laughs> specifically, I was listening to one of the recent episodes uh, uh, where I literally rewound it like six times because this one moment being an interviewer and being a podcaster, I just fucking loved. And it was when, and you probably hate this moment being a perfectionist, but it was when Mark was interviewing Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio and he was having the fucking audio problems. <laughs> oh, I, no, I, I love that stuff. I love that stuff. Like to me, like, I, I mean, I would hate it. it. I would hate it if it ruined the audio. Like if, if it was something that truly happened uh, that was terrible, but like the, one of one of our like kind of production dictates at the beginning of the show was like leave in messy stuff like that yeah, that yeah. doesn't that that isn't at cross purposes with me wanting things to be good and me wanting to be perfect you know it's like <laughs> i think the the imperfections it's like why people buy diamonds like there's things in them that you're like well that one's different than that one you know like there's you you want the messiness and like uh, you know the, i i just always felt there were moments uh from mark that he was not going to uh, cover them up, right? Yeah. And so, why should I do the same thing? Like, there was a there was a a, a part in one of the like very first episodes that we did where we literally had we're, we're not making episodes here. We just like I said, Mark was just recording chunks of material, yeah. And then we'd he'd send them to me, and there was this moment where he uh, the mic went on, and he just had like just shoved like a thing of pretzels in his mouth, <laughs> and he was like. Oh no! And like he stopped realizing, like I was gonna talk, and he had pretzels, and then he was like, "Leave this part. I want to leave this in. I want people to see that how I'm I'm not good at this yet, or whatever it was." And I thought it was very funny, but then I always kind of kept that in my mind, like, "Oh, I, I always want people to see him, see who he is, right?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so with that Brad Pitt Leo interview, like it led to one of the best moments of the thing, where like. He blows up and Brad Pitt is like, oh, that is worth the price of admission. Like, how <laughs> awesome is that? What the, like, what the audience has got to understand is that the buildup is so great because he was doing, he was out of his studio. He was going to do a, essentially what I assume is a press junket. So he's going to a yeah. screening with like, like a Zoom recorder or something and a couple of mics. Yes. And if anybody has ever done any documentary work or radio work, you know that fucking audio gear, no matter how much you spend on it, will always find a way to fuck you. Like there was always yes. some sort of bullshit. And so to hear Mark, who seemed flustered and to seem like slightly nervous because he's in a room with Brad Pitt, who turns out was a fucking huge Mark Marin fan, which was interesting yeah, within itself. Yeah. And then he's with Leonardo DiCaprio. It's like sitting with like two Hollywood legends in this space and and having Mark run into audio issues where he's like, do you fucking hear that? And to hear, to hear Brad Pitt just love it, just absolutely love it and start to break. God damn it. It's, I think it's one of my favorite moments on your show. And it's just, it felt so real. I I think I listened to it six times to pretend like it was me. Pretend like it was me <laughs> doing those interviews so that I could feel that same anxiety that Mark was feeling. Oh, it's such a great, everybody you have to, we'll link below this episode to that episode. Uh, you have to listen to that moment because it's, 
in my mind, it's, it's what I love about your show is that you guys uh, really give us a glimpse, whether you're talking to Robin Williams, whether you're talking to Obama, uh, or whether it's just Mark shooting the shit himself. Like, I feel like I know him. I feel like I'm friends with him. Um, and, uh, you know, inadvertently, your show has been a... a, a um, a influence on my show like i love that sort of like fucking laid back vibe and this is just a conversation and we're not really fucking with things and it's just so wonderfully relaxing and and rewarding and i i get why you guys haven't stopped the show after the amount of time that you're doing it because it sounds like it it's so much fun and to hear you on that recap episode i have a producer as well my buddy liam who is behind the scenes and he's got to wrangle my fucking crazy ass uh, I'm sure that uh, most of your world is dealing with Mark and having to deal with like his insecurities and his craziness and his schedule, right? Is like, is that a big part of your job? Oh, of course. It's like, yeah, the most of the job is just, you know, is, is interfacing with him. And it's just, it's fortunate that we have a great working relationship. And we we kind of established that from the get-go uh, as to, you know, how we were going to do this. Like he implicitly trusts me on my end and I trust him on his end of, you know, being the person on the mic and, and delivering. So, uh, you know, we've, we've just been on that same page for, you know, going back to 2004, 2005, when we were working on a morning show together. But I, I also think it's, you know, it's intrinsic. In, what you have to get is that like, I'm bought into him. You know, like from from the from the start, like I, I could have done a lot of different things with my career, I'm assuming. Uh, and <laughs> my decision was like, that's the guy. Right. So whatever is in his personality or, you know, anything that I have to navigate or manage, like that's I chose that for this for this reason. Like I yeah. I was like, no, that's what's going to work. And like my thesis of the show when we started doing it was like, oh, you're in Mark Marin's mind, right? And mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. he then is talking to other people and they, they you know, this is a, a show that I've described this to other people this way that it's like, it's a one man audio journal that happens to at this point have featured, you know, 1200 other people, <laughs> but it's, it's really, you're, you're hearing his thoughts, his insecurities, and they're playing out in how he chooses to connect with other human beings. And, you know, it's interesting. You said the thing about the Brad Pitt and Leo episode that, you know, was kind of entertaining when you get the full setup, right? When you understand he's dragged himself there and he's, you know, playing with all these wires and everything. And it makes the <laughs> moment really sing when it happens. But I think it's also like the setup for that. A lot of times that it depends on how long you've been engaging with the show. Like if you've been there since day one, you a understand like what an enormous thing this has become that this guy who, you know, when he started this thing was like talking about whether or not his career was over. And right. now like he, he gets to go into a back room at the Arclight where like Brad Pitt is like, dude, I'm such a huge fan of yours. So like that journey makes the, the moment hit even harder if you've been there the whole time, or if you've been there while you've seen him like hit some low points where he's, you know, feeling insecure or, or been there where he's been at high points, you know, like, the, the whole thing be on that journey with this guy is, um, you know, to me is the whole reason why it worked. And so like, I, I, 
A, don't shy away from that on the show, but B, I'd never shy away from that in my in in my, a professional sense. Like yeah. if he's gonna be freaking out about something, I, you know, I'm gonna hopefully help him out with some advice or that. But I'm also not going to get in the way of his process. Like, well, yeah, you know, I know, man, it's uh, it's it's nerve wracking. Yep. Yep. I get it. You know, and just let that stuff play out because, you know, who, who am I to stop what's been working for 12 years? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then something that that I've also learned and my producer will tell me is that when you're doing an interview and you're going through the process of of trying to pull something great out of someone and you've been fantastic because you, obviously you've done this. So like you're just running it. But sometimes you have to be more immersed with an interview and, and working it. And you're like, man, this fucking sucks. Or if you're in that space and someone's looking at you strange and you're like, this person hates my fucking guts. And so like I'll go through an interview feeling like it's the worst fucking thing in the world. And, you know, my producer afterwards will go, dude, it's fine. Like, yes, like I have no connection to any of that shit. And the good news is, is neither does the audience. They, they're not going to know right. anything with that. Yeah. Mark had to, Mark had to kind of learn that, in a you know, in, in a public way, like there were certain, like, like I said, I've always been, you know, advocating him being as open as he wants to with this stuff. And so there'd be some interviews where he'd say that didn't go well. Like I didn't, I, I, I felt like I screwed that up or I felt like I didn't connect with this person. And then, you, you know, people will listen to it and they'll be like, what are you talking about? That's like the best interview with that guy. And he learned like, okay, you know what? I, I'm not being dishonest if I keep that to myself, right? Yeah. Like I don't want to shit on their experience with the thing. Like yeah. everybody, it's like kind of like, you know, people go see a show you're in and they say, that was great. And you're like, nah, you, you it was better the night before. Like, that's disrespectful to them. Not it's you're not you. You might think you're protecting yourself, but you're actually, you know, you're down on their experience. And yeah. so, uh, you know, he's kind of learned what you are explaining there. That it's like the audience isn't going to know what's going through your head. I mean, like there may be times where it's it's a tangible thing. Like we had Gallagher like walk out of the room because he <laughs> didn't didn't like the line of questioning. But, uh, but I think mostly, you know, Mark has learned like the audience experience is going to be different than his. And the best thing we can do is just kind of like take them on a good ride. You know, one that utilizes however Mark was feeling in that, but doesn't necessarily influence how they need to feel. Well, and I think the audience just needs to understand that it's great having someone like you behind the scenes. It's great having a producer that's there to protect you because oftentimes, I've said this on the show, like, I feel like when I sit down in front of a microphone, I feel like a 15-year-old that found a gun in his dad's closet. Like, what am I going to say and what am I going to do that's going to fucking ruin everything? Um, and it's really nice to have someone behind the scenes just go like, dude, chill. This is fine. And I know what you were saying at that moment. And, and I try to explain it to him where... When you're speaking, I'm desperately trying to keep my mouth in front of my brain. And so like you, as you're talking, you're like, okay, where am I going next and what's happening? But I'm also trying to get dialogue out when I'm guiding a conversation. Mm -hmm. And so it's a completely different experience than if I went back and listened to the episode and I was like, oh, wow, everything sounds fucking great. Like I'm, I'm in that process of judging the shit that's going on up here. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's it's a wild it's a wild position to be in that most people just don't even hear about. Oh um, sure. But uh, dude, this has been great. How are you on time? Because we're going over right now. I, I'm good. I'm good. You know, whatever, whatever you want to do. Okay, great. I, I, we'll we'll get into it a bit more because uh, this has been wonderful. Uh, I love hearing about 
uh, how you guys put this whole thing together. Because like I said, the show is fucking amazing. It's such an inspiration. I don't want to be that asshole that's just gushing, but I feel like I'm going to have to. <laughs> oh, that, that's much appreciated. It feels it feels uh, satisfying to hear it after doing it for so many years. <laughs> so out of all these episodes, we're talking like 1,200 episodes of stuff. Are there specific ones that stand out to you? Are there the, Are there the ones that... You're like, these are the Hall of Fame of WTF. Yeah, I mean, it, it, they definitely kind of change. Like, But there there are ones I go back to from time to time and I'll, or I'll be kind of surprised thinking about it and I'll listen to it again. A lot of them, you know, like uh, kind of hedge toward my personal interests. Like I, mm-hmm. I just find myself, you know, wanting to re-listen to the one with Paul Thomas Anderson every once in a while. Like that's a person I admire. That's someone I want to, you know, hear this interview because it doesn't really exist anywhere else um you know and so i enjoy it or if i remember ones that had you know just individual moments that were surprising or funny you know i'll go back and revisit them mel brooks like that's that's another one i've listened to a bunch yeah um you know i say even as i say their names i realize it's like oh yeah it's like the people i held in esteem that we wound up having on our show and did a good episode. Like, I think I wouldn't feel that way if they were on our show and we just, you know, delivered a standard interview that where they answered along the lines of the narrative they've had their whole lives. Mm-hmm. But th- then there are other ones that, you know, we, we put a book together that was a collection of a lot of, uh, you know, we basically structured it like an oral history, but not of the show of like topics. So you'd have a a chapter on parenting. And Mm -hmm. then we had like sections of people's interviews that had to do with parenting, but all kind of flowing together. And, um, you know, it almost felt like one large conversation with these hundreds of people as opposed to, you know, just one transcript of one interview. Mm -hmm. And I found that when we were editing that, there were ones that I remembered, you know, episodes where I was like, man, I bet this was like, hugely important for people (laughs) like uh i mean some of them i know they were like there's an interview mark did with um a guy named todd hansen who was a a head writer for the onion Mm. and is a comedy writer and um he wound up talking about a very uh explicit and um intense uh suicide attempt um a a real uh, uh intent to die suicide attempt wow and we've had people you know, write to us and say, like, I use this, I'm a clinician and I use this interview with my clients. You know, I, 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 you know, find that it's good to, for people to hear, you know, particularly like if they've had someone in their family who has attempted or who has successfully um, committed suicide. Wow. Yeah. Uh, they, they feel it's important for them to hear, like, this is how a person was thinking and this is where, you know, they feel judgment is coming at them or et cetera. And so, uh, you know, those things to know that those things are there for people that they exist in, in the, and happened in the realm of what we do, you know, quite frankly, I, I, you know, give Mark, um, all the credit in the world for doing this, but like, you know, he, he went through some personal tragedy last year and his, his, uh, his girlfriend died and, um, you know, he's, he spent a good portion of last year just, um, going through that grief on the show. And it, I know it was hugely uh, important to people. And, and um, 
you know, probably helped out in a lot of areas that people didn't even know they needed that help. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, there's, there's always going to be like changing ones for me where I go back and I, you know, want to listen to them again. But, uh, there are times I think we've done some work that goes beyond, you know, just having a good podcast. We actually might've helped someone out. Yeah. I mean, well, because you guys tend, well, you guys are, you guys are honest about what it is that you're doing and, you know, without getting too deep into it you're talking about the, the loss that Mark went through, um, I've been watching him, uh, and listening to him and I've even been watching his, uh, Instagram live feeds that he does where he's basically right. hanging out with his cats and stuff. And it's, it's fascinating to watch, um, a human sort of process loss at that level in, in kind of what seemingly is the responsible way and seeing him sort of go through the process of this. Um, it, I think that's really important stuff because that's the, the, the type of shit that no one really wants to talk about. Everybody wants to talk about who's the youngest and who's the hippest new fucking act out there. It's always youth, youth, youth and avoid death or whatever. Um, and it's, it's fascinating to see someone be that honest about it. And like, this is how I'm feeling today and I'm trying to make it through today. And this is what's going on and, 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 and confronting it with us. I think it's incredibly important stuff. Even like yeah. I said, even just watching his live feeds and I'm just like, fuck man, Jesus Christ, how's he handling this? And then I, then I, you know, you, you can't help but feel empathy when you see that stuff. And I, I think that's the most important part about your show it's what i try to do on my show is is empathy and and listen yeah. to folks and and not fucking force values on people and the few times that i've done episodes i had a guest on the show years ago who is a competitor of ours when i used to do music videos and this motherfucker would take every job he was like the quick stop <laughs> dude that was just constant i was losing bids to him consistently and I had heard a bunch of stories about him and it was very vindictive on my part. And I'm like, I'm going to put him on the fucking podcast. I'm going to get him on the podcast. I'm going to confront this asshole and we're going to talk about this. And first three minutes in the show, I couldn't. And I started to talk to him and I was like, he's a fucking person and he's really cool. And and even though we didn't agree with stuff and he came up a weird way, I like this fucking guy. And, and so... Yeah. The show has been such a great tool for me to become more empathetic and to listen to people and to not judge because, you know, I come from such a judgy history. It's a nice thing to just be like, ah, right, I'm forced to sit here to listen to you. That's my job is to listen to you. Yeah, and now yeah. now I'm, I'm starting to learn a bit more about humanity and, and humans and there isn't a bad guy, you know? Right, right. It's, it's, well, it's the it, best. You know, I also, I think for me, it's like we, we, uh, as a, as a person who's not the one putting himself out there, I always have to be sensitive to that, you know, uh, on, on, on Mark's behalf. Like, uh, you know, he's gonna, he's, you know, gonna be open with whatever he's saying and it's fine. But, you know, in, in, in the end of things, this is a person, this is a human life. Uh, I shouldn't be exploiting that, right? Like, yeah. So um, I, I don't, we don't tend to like, lean into that in the sense of how we promote the show or, um, you know, we're, we're not, you know, he's going to release a memorial episode to his girlfriend. We're, we're not going to, you know, send that to outlets and tell them to listen to it or anything. It's like, it's just there. He did it. And, and then my hope is that in him being able to like live that stuff out on the show, mm -hmm. 
he can eventually get to a point where you know it it impacts the interviews you know or he's and it does like it has he's he's had people on and he's had very good special moments with them because they're at the same time you know relating to each other over a loss or Mm -hmm. or um you know someone who uh you know went through a similar thing as him you know and and that's when i feel like okay good i'm glad we we you know nurtured this we allowed it to happen um, and we just the, the 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 benefits from it will happen because uh, they're residual. You know, the audience will take what they want from it, and then he's a better person or a more you know uh, uh, he's got a, a greater depth to him as a person now because he went through this, mm-hmm. and it's going to help him moving forward when he talks to this person or that person or has this experience or that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, again, it's like I let these things happen from a production standpoint, but I also, you know, I'm, I I know to keep a light touch. Yeah. That's great because then you're not exploiting. As soon as it starts to get this entire industry, whether you're talking about articles and clickbait, it's all exploitation. Everything's exploitation these days. Any sort of social issue becomes an exploitive like way to make money and get eyes on things. And it just, it's just not fucking worth it. And that's what I tell all my guests when I come on, when they come on the show where it's like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to take, I'm not going to make a fucking thumbnail about your worst thing to try to make the show popular. Like it's not what we oh, do. Oh yeah. I mean, it's the bane of our existence that like, we'll try We'll, we'll have all of that, um, you know, kind of care and treat things with delicacy with the guests. And then, you know, there's nothing you can do to control like, you know, a bunch of online content farms from like taking like the most benign out of context comment and running with it like you know oh this person says you know she she thought her ass was too big or something and it's a headline now and you're like you know we tried to give that person a comfortable space and she felt comfortable and then said something as a joke and now it's it's a headline that i'm seeing in my news feed without even looking for it you know yeah uh there's nothing you can really do to prevent that but i my hope is to at least never encourage it, you know, yeah, and yeah, yeah. and I I, I don't uh, I tell you, we take it very seriously to like not play into that stuff. You can tell. I mean, and and the, what that ends up doing is that elevates the show because you guys are uh, very gentlemen about it. You guys are being, you know, real about it. I it drives me fucking crazy when you see that stuff. And then if you get, I try not to get lost in like the the play numbers and like the hits and how often people are looking at this stuff because then you get in that hungry chase for that like the likes and, yeah and then you start cheapening the program and um i that's what i love that's what i love about what you guys do is i feel like you guys are just you had a plan you know what it is that you love to do and you're like fuck it like let's just keep this the way it is let's make sure that we enjoy this and let's not exploit it um, yeah, and it, I think that I mean you guys just won that that big podcast award because of that, and, and I know it was a long time coming that you guys hadn't won an award, but I think that at this point, seeing that th- those years of 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 not wavering for that for your for those standards, of course, it, it just seems like it would be so much more important to get an award now than if you. Oh, sure, and it was very satisfying that it came from the podcast association which had been like assembled in the past few years because they felt there was not a an adequate recognition for 
podcasts out there. Yeah. Um, you know, any kind of like podcast awards were being done, you know, as a, um, uh, a promotional thing, you know, it'd be like the iHeartRadio podcast awards and it was all voted on by, you know, number of retweets something got or whatever. That's a brand builder. Yeah. So the fact that it was an industry award and it's a bunch of, um, you know, leaders in the industry who got together and said, who are we giving our first governor's award to? And they chose us. Like that's very validating. It's satisfying to know that the show is looked at as something that was foundational for, you know, people building things now that are more popular than our show. You know, like that, 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 that's all you can hope for is that people, you don't ever need to be the biggest or the best, but you just need to know that if you did something that contributed, that the contribution was recognized. So I, that is very validating. Yeah. So with you, is this, is this your full-time gig now? Are you, are you just working for it's, WTF? It's pretty close to it. I mean, there was a period of time where, where you know, at the end of 2013, I made it so that this was the primary thing I focused on. Up to then, you know, the show, as we were growing it, I was working in various places. I was at Sirius XM. I was at MSNBC. Um, and it just got to the point where maybe a year too late even, I realized, oh, I'm working two full-time jobs. And one <laughs> of them is a business like that I built. So yeah. I got to extricate myself from one and I'm going to have to extricate myself from the one that I don't own. Right. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. like uh, work on your own property. And, uh, and so, yeah, now I do other work, um, but this is the primary thing that I do. I, you know, I just kind of sometimes have my uh, fingers in other pots um, mm -hmm. and that's good, but this is the this is the thing that keeps me going and it's you know like i said to you earlier it's still the thing i really enjoy so um that's that's all you can ask for that's great dude and, and is it still just you and mark or do you guys have i mean i know you're hiring people for booking and stuff but is it still just yeah you we, two? We, we've always had uh you know someone work for us part-time as an assistant out there with mark you know um it's been various people but uh the person who's with us now frank capello he's been with us since 2015 i actually think like when the obama thing happened it was like his first week wow. working with us wow, <laughs> wow. uh and uh and yeah it, it's just it's it's um, it's always, I think, for me, the, the priority has been when there's too much on my plate, I figure out how to take some off, right? And that was what, how it was when I was selling the ads for the show. I'm like, man, I can't do this anymore at the volume that we needed to happen. So I had to go find someone who would do that. I, you know, okay, the booking of the show, that's becoming laborious. We need, And we're not getting the type of guests that we want to get. So got to go find somebody, you know, and... You know, when Mark has needed assistance, we get him assistance. So uh, there's a there's always um, a lot of support. I would never be so bold as to say the show is all me and Mark. It's always been supported by a lot of people, but the production of the show, like putting it on, so that, that what you hear comes from him on the mics and me on the editing, and the you know ownership ownership of the show is still you know fully me and Mark. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we've never been part of a network. We've never been part of a larger entity like that. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I, I, I think we're getting to the point where I got to wrap this thing up. But um, uh, I usually ask my guests at this point to give a little bit of advice to folks that are listening. And I'm sure that there are people listening that are doing podcasts and putting podcasts together. If you were to talk to somebody that was starting a podcast out right now, 
uh, and the future, you know, looks bleak as far as like how long it takes to do things and get things and get an audience. What would your advice be to someone that was just starting? Um, well, like the, the biggest thing would not be advice would be to say that if Mark and I launched the podcast today in the exact way we did and did the show, the exact same show that we started doing in 2009, um, it would most likely find very limited audience and not be a success and not be something we could make a living on. So the, the landscape has changed dramatically. Um, but that doesn't mean that you won't find an audience or can't find an audience or won't be able to be satisfied with the thing that you're doing. There is, you know, going back to that point in time to before we looked at our numbers and said, oh, these are larger than we expected. And we're going to, you know, now try to see how we can keep the show growing. If the show had stayed at the level we expected, a kind of low thousands level, and we were just delivering to that audience, we still would have done it for probably quite a long time, as long as it was still sustaining itself. And that's just because it was something we wanted to do and we liked doing it. And there's now more than there was then, plenty of outlets for you to be able to kind of um, create patronage around what you're doing. I mean, there's fully, you know, Patreon, but there's also, you know, other sites now uh, that are trying a similar model. Supercast, I know, is one of them. And um, of course, I know like the big players are trying to do this themselves with hmm. Apple's trying to have like Apple subscription so they can horn in on that business. <laughs> but like, uh, you know, you're never going to be at a loss of an ability to get your thing out there. Uh, the The big money players are all gobbling up big money talent right now. So yeah, that might not be happening for smaller shows, mm -hmm. but the reality of wanting to do it has not changed. The bar of entry for doing it has not changed. And I'm sure people doing YouTube would give like the same type of advice where it's like, well, okay, are you going to be like, you know, one of the world's largest YouTubers? Probably not, but your presence can always exist on that platform and find an audience. And so if you like it, then you should do it. And you should do it consistently because consistency breeds familiarity. Mm -hmm. And that's also what engenders audience support. And you should do it contently. You should not be doing it in a way that you feel is compromised or that you feel uh, you're only doing it because someone suggested that's the best way to find a route toward making money. Mm -hmm. um, do it the way you want to do it and the show you want to make um, and, and do it regularly. That's uh, good advice, Brennan. Thank you so much for being on the show, dude. Thanks for sharing all Thank the stories. You, Mike. This was yeah, a blast. Yeah, I appreciate it. It was, it was a lot of fun. And it's it's also it's a lot of fun to talk to somebody who knows what the kind of job I do is. Because I find that most <laughs> of the time people don't. And so, you know, they're just like, tell us about that time, Mark. Uh, you know, talk to Louis C.K. And like I'm like, yeah, he talked to him. I don't know much more than that. But uh, get questions about how to actually make the thing. That, that That's in my sweet spot. There it is. Great episode, right? Uh, Brandon was uh, really, it was really great to have him on the show. He was very gracious to be able to share as much as he did. 
Um, and uh, like I said, go listen to these episodes that we're talking about. Uh, the Obama episode, the recap episode, definitely. <laughs> I wasn't kidding when I said I rewound that bit six times on the Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio episode. Oh, I had nothing but empathy <laughs> for Mark dealing with microphone problems. There's nothing worse. When you buy audio gear, you try to, like I try to spend whatever money that I make on the show on getting the equipment that's not going to fail. So I use this gear that is consistently known for being always on point and ready to rock. But it doesn't matter how much money you spend on audio gear. It doesn't matter how much time you spend picking out cables or picking out condensers or going through the process of making sure that the batteries are charged. It always fucking fails. There's always a moment like today when I was setting it up and I'm booting up audition because I record everything live into audition for the show but I'm also running my mics through my roadcaster. And so there's this order of operation of booting up the roadcaster and booting up Audition. And I had two crashes with the computer this morning and then it was working fine. And then I went to do the show and then the fucking thing crashed again. Consistently, audio gear fucks you. And so it was really interesting to listen to how Mark was processing that stress in real time with Two of the biggest movie stars in the world waiting for him to do it. Uh, and it's just hysterical. It's a, it's a wonderful release of stress. And I listened to it multiple times trying to put myself, pretend like I was Mark dealing with it. Uh, just so I could feel that. Great episode. Check it out. And um, please, listen to WTF. If you haven't already, it's not like these guys need a plug for me. They've been around for so long. And they've got such a big audience fan base. Um, if you like my show, you're going to love their show. And you're going to listen to the show and be like, Mike, they do it so much better than you do. <laughs> and I'll go, yeah, yeah, of course they do. I'm just a fucking director with a microphone. These guys are in it full time. Um, but anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. And thanks for supporting the show. Like I said, as always, head on over to inlovewiththeprocess.com. There I'll be putting up links. I'll put up a bunch of links to their episodes up there. I'll put up photos that uh, Brandon sends me to promote the show. Uh, you'll be catching us promoting everything we promote the show every Tuesday when we release. Consistently, Tuesday morning, I try to get up first thing I, as I can on the West Coast and start to put my graphics up. Uh, and there's already hundreds of you that have listened to the episode before I even do that. But if you like the show, and you guys have been doing a really good job of this lately. You've been writing to me. You've been leaving reviews. I try to repost reviews. I try to repost comments from you. If you really dig the show, steal my graphics. Steal my shit. Repost it. Put it up. Send it around. Tell your friends about it. Because right now, you're just listening to the show. We're just doing an audio section of the show. I don't know if we're going to get into filming it. I, I keep teasing the idea that we're going to film it. I like the idea of potentially filming it, but it's really going to change the show. And, and, and talking to Brandon today, he's right about it. It really does change the vibe. What is the difference between seeing my ass sitting here and talking about it and seeing somebody else uh, sit here and talk about it? And at that point, it's all about production value. And, you know, being a filmmaker, I like production value. And then that's going to start costing more money. So what do you guys think? Would you guys like the show filmed? Would you like to see me doing these interviews? Would you like to be here? Let me know. 
let me know and I'll let the sponsors know. And then we'll try to make that happen if you guys really do like it. Uh, but in the meantime, I'm enjoying this, which is sitting here just talking directly to you and hanging out. Stick around. Plenty more episodes on the way. I'm busting my ass to book some better guests, bigger and better guests. Um, and uh, as always, I will see you next Tuesday. <laughs>